Hello, welcome to Texas True Crime. I'm your host, Jessica. I'm so glad that you are here with me today. I hope that you are warm in your part of the world because it is 20 degrees here, and that is cold for my part of the world, y'all. For some of you, it's probably no big deal, but we kind of freak out when the weather gets this cold. We're not used to it. Anything below freezing, and we act like it's the end of the world. And I'm not going to lie, I hate it. I'll take my 100-degree days any day. Anyway, y'all did not press play to listen to me talk about a weather report. But I do have to say, I finally got my Christmas tree taken down this weekend and all the Christmas things put away. Are y'all good about getting your tree and all your holiday things put up or does it linger at your house too? I vary from year to year. Sometimes I get it done right away and then other years it's mid-January like this year and I'm just now getting around to it. So just a little rant about holiday decorations. Sorry. Before we get started, though, I did want to let you know that I'm moving the day new episodes come out to Tuesday. Sunday was the original day, but I'm sure you've noticed that sometimes it's Monday and lately even Tuesday when the new episode is available. I've been rushing to get everything ready for the next week, including our episode, and it was getting really busy. And I just felt like sometimes the episode was rushed and not as good as it could be. And I always want to get out the best episode I can to you guys. And that way things will also stay consistent. Hopefully it'll help with this crazy holiday time because they definitely got the best of me. So anyway, let's get to our actual episode, shall we? We've been talking about Tom Brown. For those of you that have not been listening and just found part three. We've been talking about Tom Brown, a young man from Canadian, Texas that went missing the night before Thanksgiving in 2016. Two years after he went missing, his remains were finally found, but what actually happened to Tom is still a mystery, even though lots of theories have floated around and four different law enforcement agencies have investigated since Tom went missing. But still, there are no definitive answers about what happened. Some of those theories that floated around were really credible, but some of them were completely nonsensical, but none of them have led to any answers. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you are just finding Texas True Crime or finding the Tom Brown episodes, I recommend going back and listening to part one and two first so that you have all the details that have led up to where we are today. So when Tom's remains were found, the whole town of Canadian was shocked, and of course, all kinds of talk swirled again. How did Tom get there? Why was he there? Nothing made sense. Even after his remains were found, it still didn't shed any light on what really happened to him. A service for Tom was held at the high school gym because it was the only place in town that was large enough to accommodate everyone who wanted to attend his service. His senior class were honorary pallbearers. But there was no casket because Tom's remains were being held in Fort Worth at the University of North Texas's Center for Human Identification for Analysis. When the results came back, it was confirmed through dental records that remains were Tom Brown. Analysis at the University of North Texas's Center for Human Identification also noted that Tom's maxilla, zygomatic arch, and greater wing of the sphenoid received blunt force trauma. And I hope I pronounced all those words correctly. 
I looked up the pronunciations and did the best I could. So what that basically means though, in layman's terms, because like I said, I looked up all the definitions and the pronunciations, is that Tom got hit on one side of his face. Now the report did not specify which, I'm guessing that was probably withheld on purpose, uh, but he got hit on one side of his face. And like I said, the report did not specify which side, but your maxilla is your jawbone, the zygomatic arch is your cheek, and the greater wing of the sphenoid is the bone behind your eye and your eye socket. So right there across the top of your face. The report followed up by saying that it appeared that he was hit from the front to the back of his face, and that it was only one hit. But they were not able to tell if this happened before or after Tom died. The report also said that those injuries would not have caused his death. So it was a hard hit, one hard enough to cause damage, but not death. So basically what that means is somebody could have hit Tom once really hard in one side of his face. And I would think to cause damage to show blunt, floor, blunt force trauma, sorry y'all, that it would have to be, I mean, I guess it could be your fist, but I'm thinking probably something, an object to cause that kind of damage. Um, or maybe he fell even, you know, what if he tripped and fell on something or, um, you know, and hit face first. I don't know. Just, just thoughts. Uh, the report also stated that there was no evidence to support that Tom might have been shot through the back of his neck or the back of his head. So that ruled out someone shooting Tom, even though Klein Investigations is still to this day saying that someone shot Tom from behind, came up, whether, and of course, that's the thing with Klein Investigations. They've floated around all kinds of theories, all of them, in, all of them having to do with Tom being shot. Some saying that kids who knew Tom were horsing around at the football field, came up behind him, being stupid with a gun, and accidentally shot him in the back of the head. Then there have been other wilder claims that Sheriff Nathan Lewis shot Tom whether accidentally or on purpose, and then covered it up. And of course, there are all these claims that Sheriff Nathan Lewis has been involved in covering up Tom's death all along. But after the report from the University of North Texas, there is no proof supporting a gunshot wound. So something happened to Tom, whether it was foul play or suicide or an accident or natural causes, there's nothing pointing to him being shot. After Tom's remains were found, officers went back to where Tom was found and they did another thorough search of the area to see if they could find anything else that might help the investigation. But they weren't able to find anything that might point to what had happened to Tom. There were no ropes, there were no weapons, nothing was left behind. Of course, it had been two years by now. So, even if something had been out there, it's highly possible animals could have drug it off. It, I mean, it was out in the elements. So there just wasn't anything left. Now, after seven months of investigating, in August of 2019, 
Agents Smith and Kading from the Attorney General's office called a meeting to discuss their findings with the family. Philip Klein was also there, and then Sheriff Nathan Lewis was there with some of his deputies. And uh, not just Tom's mother, stepfather, and brother, but his father, Kelly Brown, was there too. Agent Rachel Kading started the meeting by saying that they were suspending the investigation pending any new discoverable credible evidence. Well, as you can imagine, this just deflated everyone immediately. Here they thought the attorney general's office is finally involved and we're going to get some answers. They're going to come up with something. But they had investigated Tom's death for more than a thousand hours. They had put in lots of work and still there was nothing definitive. Kading went on to say that they were not going to continue the investigation because they had found no evidence of foul play or a suspect that seemed to have any reason to hurt Tom. The investigators said that they didn't have enough evidence to file any charges one way or the other, and there simply wasn't enough there to make anything stick. Investigator Rachel Kading said that they had exhausted every lead they had. She also said that it would be very irresponsible if they tried to file charges against somebody because even though they had thoughts and theories of their own, there wasn't enough information. You know, all along, one of Klein's theories, like I said, is that someone shot Tom. At one point, one of the theories was at the football field. And he kept saying that the reason there was proof, proof that Tom was at the football field was that Tom's phone, cell phone pinged at the football field on the night that he disappeared. But the agents for the attorney general's office said that didn't really mean that he was actually at the football field. You see, Canadian is too small to have enough cell phone towers to accurately triangulate where Tom was specifically. It's not like in the big city. Remember, Canadian's a small town in the panhandle of around 3,000 people or less, really. So they don't have tower, 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 tower. They just have a few. So what it means is that, yeah, was Tom somewhere in the vicinity of the football field? Yes, but it does not mean that he was there. It's just that the tower that was closest to Tom's location also happened to be closest to the football field, and that's why he pinged there. It didn't really mean anything else. So... It proved he was in Canadian, but it didn't prove he was at the football field. And I know I mentioned this last time too, but I just, y'all, client investigations claim that they've got 30 years of experience and they're so good, but I swear, listening to him, so you can go to his Facebook page. He puts videos up all the time. He has his own podcast. And then there are more, you can listen to him on the uh, Texas Monthly podcast. He's so full of it and he just throws stuff out left and right. And I don't understand Penny Meek's trust in him. I really don't. It's just bizarro to me. And he criticizes everyone and everybody and says terrible things. It's very unprofessional to me that you would just go on a smear campaign of anybody that basically 
does not agree with you, but that's what Philip Klein really seems to do. And it just, it just does not impress me at all. And I don't understand her trust in him. Not to mention the fact that he loves to claim that everyone else is so dramatic and that they come up with these wild theories. But every single theory that he's had has been wild and dramatic himself. I don't know. Rant over. Sorry, but I just don't get it. <clears throat> the Attorney General's investigators also cleared Sheriff Nathan Lewis and the Hipfield County Sheriff's Office by saying that they had not shown improper conduct during the investigation. That was another thing. You know, Klein all along said that the sheriff was corrupt, that he had, you know, purposefully withheld information and wasn't truthful. But the attorney general's office said that, you know, they turned their office upside down. They shut it down for 24 hours. We talked about that in the last episode. And there was no proof of them doing anything that wasn't above board. Now, in the AG's report and the attorney general's report, it does say that were they probably out of their depth? Yeah, they didn't do the best job, but there wasn't any, they didn't do anything illegal. Now, you would think that this would exonerate Sheriff Nathan Lewis and that he would have a clean slate and all of his troubles were over, but not so much. Because in August of 2019, Sheriff Lewis was visited by the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement, which is the regulatory agency for peace officers in the state of Texas. Now, for the rest of the episode, I'm going to say T-Cole because Texas Commission on Law Enforcement is a mouthful. T-Cole's job is to make sure that peace officers are doing their continuing education that is required of them and that they are also actually accurately reporting that information. So the thing is, is, you know, like so many jobs, you have to take so many hours of continuing education, but then you have to report it and you have to report it in a timely manner and file the proper reports. Well, T. Cole was investigating a claim that Sheriff Lewis had submitted false documents claiming that Lewis himself and three of his deputies had completed training hours that they really had not. And here's the bad thing. Those, some of those deputies came forward and said, we didn't do those hours. Now, Sheriff Lewis claims that it was just a total mistake, that he had misunderstood how to report them, and that... He thought that the things that they had been doing were training, but even if he thought that, he still filed them out of date. So that was wrong. But then to make matters worse, so it wasn't just a clerical error. To make matters worse, the Texas Rangers also were investigating Sheriff Lewis too. Now this report stated that Sheriff Lewis, while in an official capacity, threatened a juvenile probation officer over a case that the probation officer was involved in, and that was in February earlier that year. Documents show that Sheriff Lewis was investigated for two offenses, including official oppression and tampering with a witness for the incident in question. So it doesn't look good for him. You know, I don't know if he was just really inexperienced and didn't know what he was doing, or he had a hot temper, and he let it get the better of him or what, but it's not a good look. And of course, there were questions, questions have flown throughout the whole investigation for Tom. So 
All the reports say that these investigations had nothing to do with Tom. But like I said, it's not a good look. So as you can imagine, by this time, Hemphill County had had enough of Sheriff Lewis and his questionable behavior and dragging the county through the mud. So they asked him to resign. In November of 2019, Sheriff Nathan Lewis officially resigned as Hemphill County Sheriff. Hemphill County Attorney Kyle Miller and County Judge George Bryant released a joint statement that said, the release of the T. Cole investigation and reprimand against Sheriff Lewis raised serious concerns for Hemphill County. The issues raised therein prompted the county attorney to ask for Sheriff Lewis's res resignation. In the best interest of Hemphill County and its residents, it is our hope this will allow the community to heal from its divisions and move forward. Healthy, vibrant, unique, and unified. Hemphill County remains a wonderful community and its prospects for the future are brighter still. Basically, they were doing some major damage control. Now, Chief Deputy Brent Clapp was appointed as the new sheriff, and he is still the sheriff of Hemphill County today. In January 2020, investigator Rachel Kading was back in Canadian investigating a tip that she received from a young woman named Kimberly Tyson. Tyson had been texting Tom starting on November 24th, 2016, all the way through October 1st, 2017. Now that alone should raise your antenna, considering Tom had been missing since November 23rd of 2016. So stay with me for the next little bit because there's lots of dates, but you'll see why Agent Kading was interested in these text messages. So from November 24th through December 25th of 2016, the text messages that Kimberly Young sent to Tom were blue showing that they were iMessages. So what that's saying is that the first month Tom was missing, because remember, he left his house on November 23rd and early the morning of November 24th at like 12.23 a.m., if I'm remembering correctly, his phone went dead, right? So even a, even a month later, the messages were showing blue. So that would mean the first month of Tom missing, okay? But his phone's dead. But then on January 4th, 2017, a few days later, a few weeks later, actually, the rest of the messages that Miss Young sent to Tom turned green, meaning that the texts were now being sent as SMS messages. Well, remember, Tom had an iPhone. So those messages should always show up blue like an iMessage, not as green. So, Tom's phone now, like I said, remember, it went dead a few minutes after midnight on November 24th. And according to the phone records, it was never powered back on until it made it to the FBI lab to be analyzed when it was found during the search on Lake Marvin Road. But all those text messages were shown being read. Also, remember, Tom's phone, when it was found, 
was in pristine condition. It did not look like it had been lying in a ditch for 11 months with rain, snow, animals, mowers going by, uh, mowing the side of the road like they do, and the case was missing. So what was going on? The last message Kimberly Tyson sent was on October 1st, 2017, almost a full year since Tom went missing. All of those text messages from Kimberly were not in the data download from Tom's phone and were not in the records that were obtained from, Ver from Verizon. So where were they? Remember, when Tom's phone was analyzed, it looked as if it had been wiped clean. All that normal data was missing. Pictures, old text messages, search history, gone. So the investigators from the Attorney General's office believe that whoever had Tom's phone, because it had to have been somewhere, wasn't out in that ditch, took the SIM card from his phone, put it into a different phone, so that those text messages could be read from Tom's phone. Or they think that whoever was reading those messages had access to Tom's iCloud account and were reading him through his, his iCloud account that was linked to his phone. But the question remains, who had Tom's phone? Why did they have it? Why were they still reading messages from it? And how come they'd never turned it over to the police? Another piece of the puzzle, but still no answers. In October of 2021, Philip Klein called a town hall meeting in Canadian, Texas, because he said he was going to tell the town what really happened to Tom. Now, as per usual, Klein was pointing fingers at the Hemphill County Sheriff's Office, but this time it was even more sorted than before. Klein said he had a witness named Chris Jones, and I'm going to give you a little background on Chris Jones. Chris Jones was a student at Canadian High School with Tom. They also played football together on the Canadian Wildcats football team until Tom decided to quit playing football. But other than that, Chris Jones and Tom weren't very close. So Chris Jones actually had been living with the high school football coach and he was a very talented football player but he also got into a lot of trouble at school he really had a troubled background and you know getting into fights at school causing a lot of trouble and in 2016 he got kicked out of canadian high school a few years after that he was convicted of armed robbery and sentenced to 30 years in prison so a really troubled young man uh so over the years, Chris Jones had shared tips about what happened to Tom. One of them even so, went so far as to say that Tom had been put in a wood chipper by some drug dealers and that the people who did it threatened to kill Chris Jones too if he ever told anybody. Here's the thing though, like wild stories, but because he reported them, They'd all been thoroughly checked out to make sure that there was no truth behind them. And they had all been proven to just be fabricated. But now he had a new story to tell. And he told it to Philip Klein and his investigator, Caroline Gear, who also happens to be Klein's daughter. 
But Klein says that she is his top investigator and she very well may be. I'm not taking that away from her. So according to Chris Jones, Sheriff Nathan Lewis recruited him to play football at Canadian High School. Jones said that Sheriff Lewis told him that he needed to come play football for Canadian for the Canadian Wildcats and help them win games. And that if he did not agree to come play in Canadian, that he was going to kill him. Now, why would he do that? What is the point of all that? Well, supposedly, Sheriff Lewis was working for a local gambling ring, and they wanted Chris Jones to throw certain games and win other games so that the gambling ring could win big on their bets they placed. Now, here's one problem I have with that. The football team had gone to state two years in a row, so there weren't a lot of games being thrown because you sure don't go to state if you lose a lot. So that already, I'm kind of like, maybe, maybe, okay. Well, Chris Jones, and then also, wouldn't that mean if the sheriff's in on it and Chris Jones came to Canadian and lived with the high school football coach, wouldn't that sort of implicate the high school football coach too? So now you've got two people in the community involved in this. I don't know. Chris Jones says that late in the evening on Thanksgiving Day, so that would be the day, the first like pretty much basically full 24 hours that Tom went missing, Sheriff Lewis came to Chris Jones and told him that he was going to show him something that would make sure that he played good enough to win the state championship game. Now, Chris Jones says that Sheriff Lewis blindfolded Chris put him in the back of his car, patrol car and drove him to some unknown location. Said that felt like they drove about 30 minutes and that when they pulled up, it was pitch black outside already. He says that Sheriff Lewis removed the blindfold and in the headlights of the car, he could see Tom sitting in a chair, but still alive with Deputy Pine Gregory standing next to him, holding him at gunpoint. Now, Klein says that Chris Jones told them the Deputy Pine Gregory and Sheriff Lewis had Tom murdered to make the local gambling ring happy. It was some sort of payback for something. But Chris Jones didn't elaborate on why. Now, if you listen to the town hall meeting, and I've linked it in the show notes, and then you can hear clips of it on the Tom Brown's Body Podcast and in multiple places, but I've linked the town hall meetings. If you want to go back and listen to it, you can. The people in Canadian do not like this theory. And they start yelling out, telling Klein to go home, shouting other insults. And he is not phased in the least by this. But I mean, you can see why this at one time really small, close-knit community who felt like they had banded together to help find Tom was now hearing that there were all, there was all this corruption in their town. And I know, I mean, Sheriff Lewis, he's questionable, right? But now you're throwing in the high school football coach too? Because even though Klein doesn't name him, if this kid's living with him, surely he's in on it, right? But the other crazy thing about this story is that if this is really true, then Sheriff Lewis and Deputy Gregory would have had to have held Tom alive somewhere for 15 days until the playoff game rolled around. 
So if that's the case, where was Tom for all that time? Where did they have him? And then it's never answered why he was killed. What was he killed? There, That answer never comes. So <clears throat> again, what does that mean? And again, lots of drama and, and no real answers to back it up. But here's my question. If you really thought all this is true, would you go and just tell it to a meeting of 200 people? Like, wouldn't you go to some trusted law enforcement and be like, this is what we have. And we have this hard evidence and we don't want it to get out because we want to get it solved. Most of the time, I mean, the attorney general's office even says that they filed this report that you can read and I've linked it in the show notes. But it says that they've withheld evidence that is crucial to the case. They're only sharing what they feel like they can share. They're not giving us everything. So why in the world, if this is really true and really fact, like Philip Klein says throughout the town hall meeting, that which went on for hours, may I say, I am giving you the very, very, very short version of it. Why would you tip your hand and tell everything? Why wouldn't you turn it all over to law enforcement so that Tom really could finally get some justice? I don't know. <clears throat> I feel like I've ranted to y'all a lot in this episode and I apologize. But it really, it's just really irritates me. Now, the Attorney General's office investigated these claims that Chris Jones made. And they said there was no merit to any of them. And they also brought up the fact that Chris Jones has told multiple stories over the years and none of them have panned out. So he's not the most credible of witnesses anyway. Now, there's another investigator named Michael Crane, and he's not tied to any of this. He just heard about Tom's case and it really bugged him. So he went out on his own and started just researching all the information that was out there about Tom's case. And he started reading just everything that was already there. And he has his own thoughts and viewpoints on it. And he believes that Penny and Chris and Tucker had something to do with Tom's disappearance. Now, if you want to hear his thoughts, the Chris Samples radio show interviewed him extensively to let him talk and lay out all of his evidence. I will say this, uh, and I've linked all those interviews in the show notes as well. I will say this, Michael Crane is very concise. There is no drama and he stays pretty professional. Towards the end, he gets pretty fed up with Philip Klein because Philip Klein attacks him left and right uh, in the media and stuff. And I've read those reports too. But until the end, in like episode eight or nine, when Philip Crane, um, Philip Crane, I am so sorry, Michael Crane gets fed up with Philip Klein, he stays very professional and very level headed. So that alone right there, I don't know. I would much rather listen to you and I'm going to give you more credit if you don't keep spouting off stuff that you can't back up. But go listen to it for yourself. It's very interesting and it's a completely different take on things. And two, and I didn't put it in this episode, y'all, because there's no proof for me to back any of his theories up. So I don't think that's fair to throw that out there too. But I wanted to give it, give you the opportunity to listen to it and make your own decision. 
Now, in 2023, Penny and Chris Meek, along with Tucker Brown, filed a defamation lawsuit against several people in the media, especially, that have speculated that the family was, in fact, involved in a crime to cover up Tom's suicide. Now, some of these defamation lawsuits have already been dismissed, but some are still pending. But either way, there are still no answers to what really happened to Tom. And if you read the people they go against, it really just sounds like anyone who questions them gets sued. But no matter what, it all boils down to the fact that we still don't know what happened to Tom. And hopefully one day we will. Somebody knows the answers. And hopefully one day he'll get the, the justice that he deserves. So thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about the show and leave a five-star review and make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode when there's a new one available. If you have thoughts or suggestions or even heard your own information, I got a really great response from a listener that actually lives in the area and really filled me in on a lot of other stuff that you just can't find when you're doing research because you're not local. You know what I mean? Unless you're there really talking and listening to people in town. So that was really great. And I appreciate that. Anytime you guys want to share things with me, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Texas true crime pod. You can find me on Facebook at Texas true crime, or you can email me at Texas true crime podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. And I will see y'all next week. Bye.